This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Today's episode is one of the group of episodes in which I have some updates to make. The website stephenjtrigar.com no longer exists. So instead, every time I mention stephenjtrigar.com, know that you should go to alexandriamedia.org instead. I apologize for any confusion, but it is part of the process in transferring the Composer Chronicles over into my new company, Alexandria Media. So just remember, anytime that I use stephenjtrigar.com, just go to alexandriamedia.org instead. Thanks, and enjoy the episode. Hey there! I wanted to catch you at the top of the episode to let you know that my Patreon page is changing its name and URL. Rather than the page saying Stephen Trigar and the URL ending with Stephen J. Trigar, the page is fully transitioning over to the Composer Chronicles. All members of the Patreon page will continue to enjoy all the same benefits as before, including early access to ad-free versions of every episode, access to the Patreon podcast unscripted, and all other benefits one can find at higher levels. So, if you are listening to this episode and you hear me reference patreon.com slash stephenjtrigar, that is no longer a valid URL, as I have changed it over to patreon.com slash thecomposerchronicles. I hope you enjoy, and I hope to see you on my Patreon page. Hello, and thank you for joining me today. Before we dig into today's episode, I just wanted to remind you that on this Friday, September 4th, The first episode of a new member-only podcast will be available to members of my Patreon page. The podcast is called The Composer Chronicles Unscripted. It is a monthly, behind-the-scenes look at The Composer Chronicles where I'll explain my reasoning for the music I chose the previous month, some personal connections I have with the pieces, other interesting facts that I didn't get to explain or mention in the main episodes of the show, and occasionally some other really cool surprises. Unscripted is available to all membership levels, which start at $1.50 a month. So if you're a fan of the Composer Chronicles and just want a little bit more of it in your life, be sure to go to patreon.com slash stephenjtrigar or click on the link in the show notes. Becoming a member not only gives you access to Unscripted, but it also gives you access to ad-free episodes of all of the Composer Chronicle episodes. Also, by becoming a member, you are directly supporting me so I can continue making the best content with the best quality. So if you enjoy the show, consider supporting me on Patreon. As always, thank you to everybody for all of your support. A crowd was beginning to form outside the old Schwarzenberg Palace in Vienna. Inside, the musicians were getting ready for a private premiere of a brand new work by Haydn. The only people allowed inside the building were those who received an invitation to attend this performance, including wealthy patrons of the arts, prominent composers and musicians, nobility from the surrounding countries, and high-ranking government officials. But those gathering outside didn't care. They had been anticipating this piece for quite some time now, and they would do whatever they could to hear it, even if they were shut out from the palace's interior. Haydn's new oratorio, The Creation, was a must-see, and the common folk outside felt that they deserved to be part of this momentous occasion. However, the crowd grew to be so disorderly 
and it took a group of nearly 30 policemen to keep them in check. Those lucky enough to have been invited that day were absolutely enthralled by the new oratorio. Its blend of texts from the book of Genesis, the book of Psalms, and John Milton's epic poem Paradise Lost were the perfect foundation for Haydn to flex his musical genius, and the audience left the palace with such a sense of bliss that for days they would go about their daily lives thinking about that night with stars in their eyes. When it came time to publicly premiere the work, Vienna's old Burgtheater at the Michelerplatz would barely contain the masses of people. It had sold out far in advance, and finally those who stood outside the Schwarzenberg Palace that day could experience the brilliance of the creation. This new work undoubtedly became one of Haydn's greatest achievements. In Vienna alone, the creation would merely have 40 more performances, some conducted by the composer himself. The work could certainly not be contained within Vienna's limits. It also received nearly 40 more performances outside of Vienna in Haydn's lifetime. I'm sure that you have figured out by now that these types of successes are not always as simple, and they often come at a great cost. Though the creation stole the hearts of its original audience and continues to do so to this day, the journey there wasn't always the easiest. From Alexandrian Media, this is The Composer Chronicles, a podcast that delves into the stories of history's greatest composers and their works. I'm Stephen Trigar, and this is episode number 13, In the Beginning. In 1791, Franz Joseph Haydn was present for a performance of George Frederick Handel's monumental oratorio, The Messiah. Although Haydn was already considered to be one of the greatest composers alive, the performance of The Messiah reawakened a kind of youth in Haydn. His compositions from that point forward became meticulously crafted, and every note was just as important as the rest. Not only did The Messiah reignite his compositional passion, but it sparked his interest in writing his own oratorio. An account from the French violinist François-Hippolyte Barthélemon states that it was he who then imparted the idea to write an oratorio about the biblical creation of the world. Barthélemon would take up his Bible and hand it over to Haydn, saying, Take that and begin at the beginning. There is a second account that contradicts that of Barthélemon's. Baron Gottfried von Sweden, the creation's eventual librettist, states that it was the impresario Johann Peter Salomon who handed him the libretto entitled The Creation of the World, asking him to set it to music. The libretto had originally been offered to Handel, but he refused to undertake it as it was such a massive project. For Handel, the finished product would have been about four hours in length. It's important to note now that Solomon was not the writer of this libretto, 
he just happened to be the one requesting that the libretto be set. Remember that for later. Soon after Solomon handed off the libretto of the creation of the world, Haydn departed England and returned to Vienna, where he then handed over the libretto to von Swieten. Initially, after Haydn's return, Haydn kept the project present in his mind, but he quickly became occupied with other music, including the choral version of his previously established orchestral piece, The Seven Last Words. The arrangement of The Seven Last Words into an oratorio was just the nudge that Haydn needed to get back to work on the creation. As Haydn had just finished working with Sven Sveten on The Last Seven Words, he was the perfect candidate to collaborate with on the creation. And so von Sveten set out to translate the English libretto of the creation of the world into German. Von Sveten chose to adhere closely to the King James Version of the Bible, rather than any German Bible, in order to keep his translation of the biblical sections as close to the English in word order, syllabification, and stress patterns as possible. As Haydn would compose the oratorio from the German version, returning to create an English version would prove less difficult as a result of his previous efforts. It is possible that both Haydn and von Swieten knew that the English audiences would not easily accept the alterations to the text of their Bible. I'm sure it didn't help that they were also competing with Handel's Messiah and Israel and Egypt as well. Haydn truly gave precedence to composing the creation in 1797. Every time a new section was completed, Haydn would hand it off to von Swieten, who was also the organizer with the Gesellschaft der Associierten, of the work's premiere. If something didn't work, von Swieten would return to Haydn for revisions. In the spring of that year, Haydn would take the oratorio's introduction, titled The Representation of Chaos, to his dear friend Frederick Samuel Silverstall. The friend recalls that Haydn was beyond excited to share this work, pointing out various techniques and depictions of certain elements. The first draft was completed by autumn of that year, between then and the open rehearsal on April 29, 1798, several revisions to both the music and text were made. The private premiere was the following day, but this wasn't the original plan. The creation was supposed to be performed much earlier, but there were several complications that caused it to be delayed until that April. We'll see why after the break. It's a brand new year, and you know what that means. It's time for us to reflect upon the past year and to set new goals. If you're someone who sets New Year's resolutions and never sticks to them, 
Make this year a year you stick to those resolutions, especially if one of them is to live a healthier lifestyle. If you're like me, I spent so much of 2020 stuck inside my apartment. I couldn't go to the gym, and most of the exercise I did was just walking around my neighborhood. What else could I do? I had no equipment, and at most I had a slight knowledge of minimal equipment exercising from my days in CrossFit, but even then those were a bit much. When I found Roy Belzer Fitness, that was when everything changed. Every weekday, I wake up with an email in my inbox containing a new workout video, and I can do that workout whenever my busy schedule allows. Better yet, in these videos, Roy does the workouts with us, so his words of encouragement mean all the more to me who is sweating up a storm. But Roy Belser Fitness isn't just a daily workout routine. It's a community, a shoulder to lean on, and a body-positive space where all are welcome and are free from judgment. Via a private Facebook community, every student gets to share their own journeys and encourage others to keep going. We all get to engage with each other every day, sharing sweaty selfies after workouts, nutrition tips and recipes, and posts that keep us accountable for one another. When you sign up for Roy's class, you not only get to join this incredible group of people to keep you accountable, you also get a free nutrition guide and the opportunity to win incredible prizes like free memberships and cash prizes. You can get back on your weight loss and fitness journeys right now when you sign up for Roy Belzer Fitness. Just go to RoyBelzerFitness.com slash sign up or click on the link in the show notes and use the code Cron podcast at checkout to get 10% off your first month of classes. Again, that's RoyBelzerFitness.com slash sign up and use the code Cron podcast at checkout for 10% off your first month. This new year, let's stick to our new year's resolutions together. Join me and a wonderful community of like-minded individuals living healthier lifestyles in a body positive space with Roy Belzer Fitness. As previously mentioned, the first performances of the creation were mounted by the Viennese Gesellschaft, which was a group of noblemen who were frequent patrons of musical endeavors. The group was organized by von Swieten, which of course was highly beneficial for Haydn. For the creation, they paid Haydn with a great deal of money. As to them, having one of the most popular composers in the world at the time was nearly priceless. However, other troubles did arise that caused him to have to pay more for the work to be staged. Salomon, the man who did not write that original English libretto, threatened to sue on grounds that the English libretto had been translated illegally. To mitigate the issue, the Gesellschaft paid for the rights to stage the premiere. There was also one more issue. As revisions were continuously being made after rehearsals of sections, the individual parts for the musicians were not finished until Good Friday of that year, pushing back the performance until April. 
With the oratorio finally finished, the performances could commence. It was rehearsed before a full audience on April 29th. In that audience was Haydn's friend Silverstalp, who commented that at that sensational moment when the music erupts on the word light, one could swear that rays of light darted from Haydn's eyes. This moment was so incredible that the orchestra could not proceed until the audience had calmed itself down from being so emotionally taken at, at that moment. That next day, the streets around the Schwarzenberg Palace were packed with hundreds of eager listeners. The general public wouldn't get a chance to hear the work until almost a full year later on March 19, 1799, at the old Vienna Burgtheater. It had been sold out for quite some time, but those who were not able to see the work that day would certainly get plenty of chances to hear it soon. Between its private premiere to now, Haydn had been hard at work to add additional parts to the work. Once it came to the public, the forces had increased significantly to about 120 instrumentalists and 60 singers. That's even massive for today's standards. You may have heard me mention that size orchestra before in works like an Alpine Symphony in Episode 9 and Bluebeard's Castle in Episode 10, but that was over a century later, when stages and pit orchestras would better accommodate for those forces. In today's performances of the work, there are many singers in the chorus, sometimes being just as large as the orchestra to match the power that our modern instruments have. As I previously mentioned, the work was performed a total of 80 more times throughout his life around the world, with nearly half of those performances in Vienna. The creation would reach the London audiences in 1800, using its English text at Covent Garden. It became part of the regular lineup of oratorios performed in England, as it certainly held up to the standards previously set up by Handel. Haydn would continue to conduct and attend performances of the work for the rest of his life. The last performance he ever made it to was the year before he died, on March 27, 1808. Haydn was extremely ill and very old, and so he had to be carried in on an armchair, with poise and honor, I might add. It is said that at this performance, the audience once again erupted into applause at that momentous outburst of light from the musicians, and Haydn weakly pointed up towards the heavens, saying, Not from me. Everything comes from up there. This week's classical question was sent in by Rafael from Brazil. Let's take a listen. Hi there, Rafael here from Brazil. Um, well, I would like to know um, what has 
uh, Wagner contributed to modern music? That's a very interesting question. So one of the things that he really set into stone was this idea of a leitmotif, which is a musical idea or a musical section that would be attributed to a physical object, a emotion, a philosophical idea, or just really pretty much anything that you could possibly set music to. He would set music to it in order to give the audience something to remember when a certain idea came up again later in the opera. Now, this was not a completely new idea when Wagner came around. It was something that was practiced by a few composers beforehand, but it was something that Wagner did take and completely capitalize on, and he solidified it as a major musical idea that you could put into your music. This also stemmed up to a lot of other things that would instigate new musical ideas throughout the rest of music history, such as the symbolist movement in the uh, 20th century. Wagner was also really important in musical language. He would write certain passages that had ambiguous harmonic structure to it. Wagner was not afraid to do what was against the normal of his time. Wagner comes to us very, very early in the 19th century, very early. And we don't really get music that sounds like his music until much later in the 19th century. Because of that, his music sounds so much more modern than the composers around his time. So how does Wagner apply to today's music? Well, really, if you have this idea where you want to attribute a specific musical motif to a certain emotion or thing that you have in your life and you're writing that down in your music, that was pretty much Wagner's that was pretty much Wagner's doing. Certain orchestral things that go on, certain orchestral colors in contemporary composers' works can also be impacted by Wagner's work, but he does have quite a bit attached to him. This episode of the Composer Chronicles was written, researched, and produced by me, Stephen Trigar. Music and sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on stephenjtrigar.com. The Composer Chronicles is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cron Podcast. That's C-H-R-O-N Podcast. So be sure to follow the show and share it with your friends and family. Also, there is a membership to the show through Patreon. For as little as $1.50 a month, you will get ad-free episodes, access to the Composer Chronicles Unscripted, and other resources for the show. Click on the link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash stephenjtrigard to show your support. If you like the show and want to rate and review it, the best place to do that is on Apple Podcasts. Next week, we are going to be visiting the Soviet Union around the time of World War II when Shostakovich created his Seventh Symphony in order to help the war efforts. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.
Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.